I guess we should get into the actual pod. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into the vibe, Michael. Oh, yes. Shalom. Shalom. Today, I was hanging out with someone, and I mentioned that our podcast was titled After a Thing ContraPoints Says Sometimes. And I said, I didn't know how to feel about ContraPoints. And they said, why not? Because they were completely unaware of any controversy surrounding ContraPoints. So, some people live in blessed ignorance. I mean, as a self-hating envy... I uh, I agree with. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. That one's mandatory staying in the episode. <laughs> yeah, I guess we should uh, reveal. That's kind of where the original title came from. But you know, really, it's not contrapoints. It's just like a general kind of homosexual mannerism. You know. I know. I just had it stuck in my head from the way she says it in her videos. Are we going to like lose listeners because we're revealing this? No, we don't have any listeners to lose. We're already destitute. Yeah, that's true. JK, you love us. Michael. Yes. I have to go first in the Hi, How Are You train. Oh, okay. I have to assert myself. No, that's fine. That's fine. And say, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm oh, tired no. today. I woke up, uh-huh. I got ready, and I walked to this coffee meeting that I had this morning. And then I came home, I had 30 minutes to eat, and then I got onto a two-hour Talmud Shior for my fellowship. Mm-hmm. And then I had 30 minutes since then, and now I'm recording this episode with you. So I literally have not stopped doing things today. Well, I'm similarly tired. There's lots of things happening right now. Mm-hmm. I haven't showered in like a week. Oh my god! Yeah, but that's just normal. I have to buy wood. I need to buy like four to f- six cords of wood. Oh, your house is heated by wood heat? Uh, Wood and there's electric too, but it's mostly wood. Got it. Well, I don't know if you know a lot about running a wood stove, but I do because my life was only heated by wood heat for almost two years in the rainforest. So Yeah, that's right. In the Pacific Northwest, it is a rainforest. Yeah. So if you need some help with your stove, you should have me over sometime. Okay, great. I do know about like green wood and seasoning wood and all that stuff. I mean more about burning and like how to get the most efficient fire in a wood stove because it's very different than a campfire. Okay. Yeah, I might have you over and help me with that. So that's... Yeah, I mean, you're going to have me over regardless. Do I have anything to tell you besides the fact that I'm buying a bunch of wood? Um, Yeah, I guess your, your house acquisition is continuing it is continuing hold on grunge girl has something to tell me we oh oh yeah i'm trying to use the we pronoun more when describing when i'm buying a house because it's actually we're buying oh a house. yeah mm-hmm. because as we are it's not just me it's it's right yeah so i'm trying to use that right. language and oh, we just called out for it right now Right. It's hard because it's like we're in a weird, this weird sort of like box where we're recording with each other and Grunge Girl is sort of like outside the box. Constantly watching. (laughs) Yeah. We're in sort of like a Truman show, but our audience is only your girlfriend. That's kind of what it feels like sometimes. Honestly, I love it. I'm excited to have things get back to more of a routine and I'm excited Mm -hmm. that we're getting so many of these listener questions come in. I know. I love it. I feel like... Our prayer to transfer to an advice and question format has been answered. Yeah, I think so. Keep them coming. We see every single one of them. And we treasure them. Yeah, we treasure them. We treasure them and... uh... Yeah, they're great. They're really nice. They're really nice. Your yawn is making me yawn. 
All right, should we just jump into it? Yeah, let's fucking do it. Let's okay. grip it and rip it, baby. Okay, what's the question? Okay, so here's the question, people, and it's a doozy. Hi, I have a difficult situation I've been struggling a lot with. I'm a Gior student currently in the last few weeks of my conversion class. My teacher, who would also be my sponsoring rabbi, seems to be a pretty hardline Zionist to the point of insisting that supporting the state of Israel is a Jewish value and that BDS and calling Israeli policies apartheid is inherently anti-Semitic. On my own, I've been carefully and critically researching, reflecting, and especially trying to listen to Palestinians, and I truly cannot agree with my teacher on this. However, because of how this discourse tends to go, I'm afraid my disagreement on this could just be framed as me being anti-Semitic and thus unfit for conversion. I have no idea where else to look for in another sponsoring rabbi in my area, which would otherwise be the obvious thing I could do to resolve this issue. While questioning is very Jewish, I'm not so sure that I have as much freedom to openly question Zionism and the state of Israel as I would if I were a born Jew. I'm not sure how effectively I could stand up to any rabbi who has a major say and whether I'll make it past the bait then. Is there anything that the Talmud has to say that could help me with this situation? How do I navigate this possible conflict between my need to come home and my core value of justice as a deeply Jewish value? I hope what I wrote is clear enough, and thank you. So thank you, first of all, dear listener, for trusting us with this dilemma. I was excited to receive this question because this is actually a situation that I've seen several friends sort of navigate in their own conversion processes. So it's a dilemma that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah, thanks for writing in. That is a tough situation to be in. We're sorry that you're in it, and hopefully the Talmud will provide some answers. Yes, so I am going to tell us a little tale. And this is a long tale in Talmud that unfolds on Gittin 56a and b. I'm going to tell a lot of it as my own summary, and then towards the end we'll get some actual quotes right from text and halacha. So, basically, the deal is, Jerusalem is under siege. It's been under siege for a long time, people are starving in the city, everyone's worried that like they're going to be entirely wiped out. And so our guy, Rabbi Yochanan bin Zakkai, has this scheme concocted. He's going to pretend to be sick for a while, and then he's going to put a putrid thing near him so people will think he's died and decomposing. And then his students are going to get him out of the city through the blockade in a coffin, like tricking the besiegers, the Romans, into thinking that he is dead. They do this whole ruse. He pretends to be sick, and then he pretends to be rotten, and then he gets in a coffin, and there's a couple interludes where people are like, we're gonna stab the coffin, and the students are like, oh, here's a clever reason why you can't do that. So there's all kinds of tricks and stuff. He gets out, and they bring him to Vespasian, who is currently the general or military officer who's in charge of besieging the place. I'm unclear about what his actual like rank is or how Roman military rank works, but he's a big macher. So Yochanan ben Zakkai like, pops out like a little jack-in-the-box and makes this cute little prophecy. Hey, Vespasian, you're gonna become a king. And Vespasian is like, this is weird that you have come to me after like you've done this coffin ruse and you've chosen this moment to come to me and call me a king, even though I'm not one right now. Yochanan is like, yeah, I know this because I'm wise and I can interpret all these Torah verses that explain how you're gonna be 
a king in the future. As he's like doing this whole prophecy and all these tricksy little Torah things to convince Vespasian, a messenger comes from Rome and says, the emperor has died and the nobleman appointed you to be the next emperor. So Yochanan ben Zakkai is like grazed in Vespasian's estimation. He's like, damn, your prophecy was right. And like very timely because I became emperor while I was still in the middle of this conversation with you. Oh, that's very convenient. I know, right? Isn't it... (laughs) suspiciously convenient it is suspiciously convenient also yohanan what are you doing get out right now the final thing unfolds and vespasian's like okay i'm gonna go be emperor now and i'm gonna send someone else back here to continue beseeching you but before i go you can like ask me for a favor and yohanan ben zakai asks for Yavna and its sages. This is sort of one of the origin myths of rabbinic Judaism. Yohanan ben Zakkai asks for Yavna, which is this town, and its sages to make this sort of primordial Talmud academy, which is where our Talmudic traditions come from. So this is probably like mythological, but it's a very important myth. Okay, okay. I Why didn't you ask, like, hey, just stop the siege? Just totally. Well, so we're going to get to one of our quotes. So he says, give me Yavna and its sages, spare the dynasty of Rabban Gamliel, and lastly, give me doctors to heal Rabbi Tzedak, who was this guy, important rabbi in Jerusalem, who was sick. We get a quote later on the daf. Rav Yosef wa'etema Rabbi Akiva meshiv chachamim acho atam isakel ibi Rabbi Yosef, or some people say it might have been Rabbi Akiva, quoted this Torah verse about Yochanan ben Zakkai, said, who turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolish, because he should have just told Vespasian to leave the Jews completely alone. So basically, Rabbi Yosef, or possibly Rabbi Akiva, used this Torah verse to diss Rabbi Yochanan for not asking for the Jews to be completely free from the siege. Yep, yep. Okay, I follow. That makes sense. Also, can we talk about what he said about Gamaliel? Oh, like the dynasty of Gamaliel? Yeah, like, get rid of that guy. We don't want his influence around. Is that what he no, meant? No, he said spare the dynasty of Rabban oh, Gamaliel. Oh, spare. Oh, I th- They I, do want Rabban Gamaliel. I thought it was like, spare us of the dynasty. Oh, spare us from... God save us from Rabban Gamaliel and his dynasty. Oh, yeah, that's what... Okay, well, that's a shame. I was hoping there was a little feud there. No, no feud, sadly. But we continue on in our learning to read. Why didn't Yochanan ben Zakkai ask for that? Why didn't he ask for the siege to be ended and the Jews to be free, basically? And he said he reasoned that Vespasian might not fulfill such a big request, and then he wouldn't get anything, and there wouldn't even be a tiny amount of salvation. There would be no salvation, because he would have asked for something too big, and Vespasian would have been like, well, no, and fuck you for asking, and now you get nothing. Uh-huh, okay, I see where you're going with this, Hava. Yes, so... Here is where I'm going with this, listener. I want to say this advice and this thought comes from, I haven't been in the situation that you are in with regards to conversion, but I have been in countless situations where I've had to hide essential parts of my being to receive essential things. When I first started transitioning, 
I had like really complicated, I think as many people do, really complicated and sort of like nuanced feelings about gender and like what my gender was. But I had to go into the therapist and be like, I was born this way. I've known, you know, since birth and sort of like compress my narrative into something that is intelligible to the medical industrial complex. So I bring this advice out of a out of a lifetime of doing similarly. What I have to say is that if I were in your shoes, I would probably choose to as much as possible fly under the radar in this situation. It sounds like it would be possibly impossible for you to access conversion without going through this person. To me, it is a shame on the Jewish people that you are in this situation. It's not the way the world should be. And at the same time, I would rather you be able to access Judaism and the Jewish people be enriched by your wisdom rather than sort of like making this a line in the sand moment for you. So, you know, my advice is sometimes you got to sit next to something putrid, put yourself in a coffin and, you know, get escaped from the city. Yes, I've had this experience too. I've had this experience like getting degrees, getting benefits, getting all sorts of things from third parties that I don't have this sort of relationship to. I don't have this sort of shared, supposedly shared mission with. Like they're just barriers in the way of stuff. But like having it be Judaism itself, putting up like this bureaucratic process in front of you, it just seems a lot more personal. I get you. I mean, it seems it's more personal because this conversion has probably been an ongoing process. The rabbi is not like a faceless bureaucrat. You know, it's like a nuanced and interconnected situation between human beings. And at the same time, right now, this rabbi is functioning by design as a literal gatekeeper to the Jewish yeah. tradition. You know, like... That is their role. We have had many episodes about conversion and its accessibility, but in this moment, that's the way that that rabbi is functioning. If even debate on the topic would be disqualifying for this rabbi, I don't see how you can escape that sort of overriding nature of their role as a gatekeeper. Are there online conversion programs? There is one that I've heard of through Darshan Yeshiva, D-A-R-S-H-A-N. I have heard some positive things about it, and I've heard other people say it's just not, like, the satisfaction is just not the same. A big part of converting is, like, you convert into a community rather than just converting in the abstract, and that's something that can be challenging to get through online conversion. But they do exist, I have another Talmud strategy, too, if you're going to go through with this. Great. There is another story about the siege of Jerusalem. If it's the same siege, I just can't keep them, keep them straight. <laughs> I can't keep all those sieges straight. Within the temple were, like, the pro-besieger group. Pro-Roman, I think. Mm -hmm. The Roman loyalists. Yes, the Roman loyalists. Maybe it wasn't Rome. It could have been, who knows, some other group before the Romans. And outside were the anti-loyalists. Mm -hmm. And I think there was some sort of compromise because sacrifices still need to happen at the temple. Mm -hmm. So they would put a goat or something in ropes and they would pull the goat up like on the ropes and sacrifice it. Mm -hmm. So there, at least temporarily, there was some sort of way to like 
share in this important thing that both of these sides agreed on, even though they fundamentally were at war with each other. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if a way to stomach going through this conversion process with this person is to see that even though they think that that this is like the 15th point of Maimonides that he forgot to write down about like supporting the Israeli state or whatever, surely... There must be some other points that you agree on that make you see them as a Jew interested in some sort of spiritual journey that overlaps. So you're hoping that another potential strategy is to like talk this out and find the points of commonality. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't talk it out. Don't talk it out. Just like, <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm just just like internally, internally understand. Find the goat that you both agree on sacrificing. Right, right, and just know that it's okay if there are other goats that you don't agree on. Yeah, yeah. So I do want to offer a concrete halachic piece because the Talmud story, as much as I love that story and as the Jews love that story, it was really just sort of like a parable allegory that i brought up to say like you know even in intense times of history sometimes people did some like i don't think this would be deceitful on your behalf listener but rabbis went as far as to just like out and out lie to like deal with situations so i think you're in good company to just not share certain things about your viewpoint but one thing i did want to share that's actually a a relevant halacha, I think, to your situation. This comes from Shulchan Aruch Yore Deya, which is one of the sections of the Shulchan Aruch, which is an important work of halacha. So in Shulchan Aruch, we read, when a potential convert comes to convert, check after them, because perhaps it's because of money they took, or perhaps because of power they will gain, or perhaps because of fear that they're coming to enter the religion. And if you don't find for them such a cause, inform them of the weight of the yoke of the Torah and the difficulty of fulfilling it on the nations of the world in order that potential converts would be discouraged. If they accept this weight and do not leave, and you see that they are returning out of love of Torah, accept them. So, why I bring up that halacha is because you see that there are several reasons in it that they might want to stop someone from converting. What if they were converting for a material gain? What if they were converting out of fear of persecution, etc., etc.? You'll notice nowhere on that list was support of the modern nation state of Israel. So, <laughs> okay. All right. A little heavy handed there, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, all I'm saying, no, there's nothing on there that's even like similar. There's nothing on there that we could even like drosh into being a requirement to make sure that someone's Zionist. My point is the Shulchan Aruch gives us sort of a list of reasons that we might want to interfere with someone's conversion if they're doing it for gain or for fear or without full knowledge of what they're getting themselves into. None of those conditions seem to apply in your situation. Seems that you're fully cognizant of what you're getting into. Seems that you're not doing it for material gain or out of fear of persecution. So I just bring this halacha to hopefully help you know that it's okay to have this viewpoint that you are coming into conflict with your supervising rabbi around and... To know that there is space made for you in halacha to have this sort of viewpoint that's divergent from where mainstream Judaism has gone. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. I, I hope you're able to uh, resolve this in a way that spiritually and psychologically puts you at ease about the whole uh, conversion process, listener. I hope so as well. I, I think part of the way that I think about it in the end is what would the sort of material outcomes be in each situation if you decide to have it out with this rabbi about Zionism? What's the likelihood that you're going to shift their lifetime of conditioning versus what is the benefit that you might get by being able to complete your conversion? And ultimately, to me, it's a benefit for the Jewish people to have you. I can tell just from this question, hopefully it will be a benefit for you to have the Jewish people. And to me, that outweighs the incredibly small probability that you would be able to single-handedly change this rabbi's mind on this issue. I will throw one other idea at you, Hava, I want your opinion on. When do you think metaphysical conversion happens? That's a great question. Metaphysical conversion happens when you submerge in the mikvah. However, okay. is it a, as we talked about in a very recent episode, a time travel paradox? Because some people understand that people who convert essentially had Jewish souls all along. So there's definitely like some causality issues. Okay, so there's definitely a chance that, listener, you already are a Jew, in a sense. In a sense, I, I think of it as like... Um, Can you like stealth mikvah? Just go out, do a stealth mikvah, dip and dive, and then get out and then be officially... We will be continuing to do episodes on conversion because it is a very popular topic for listener questions. And I love that because it's a topic that's close to my heart. But there are a lot of things about the way we do conversion right now that are not absolutely necessary. So, for instance, it's my halachic contention that a Beit Din can be composed of any three upstanding Jews, not necessarily three rabbis. As far as mikvah, I think you would want, ideally, you would want three witnesses, not like a total stealth mikvah. The way I think about the Jewish soul situation is like the conditions for Judaism are uniquely present, but not necessarily inherently fulfilled without conversion. Oh, so it's like fire, like the three things you need right. for a fire. Right. There's like fuel. Mm -hmm. There's all the components for fire, essentially. There's a match, yes. right? Yeah. But it hasn't necessarily been struck. I think we should start the spontaneous combustion stealth Jew convert organization. <laughs> Make your way to Providence and we'll like shuffle you through the, the motions and, and, and get right, you. Right, take you to a secret mikvah. Yeah, take you to a secret mikvah. That sounds fun. I'd love to start a secret mikvah. Yeah, that'd be super cool. Yeah, I hope this ramble of Talmud has been helpful to you, listener. I appreciate your vulnerability in sharing this question with us. I hope you know all my advice comes from a place of love and a place of having been in what I imagine are similar situations. And keep us updated. I hope everything works out for you. I'll be thinking of you. Yeah, keep us updated, listeners out there. If you have thoughts, feel free to reach out, too. Why oh, not? yeah, definitely. We love listener replies. I'll, I'll put replies in an episode as well. Oh, yeah, we'll read out replies for sure. Yeah, cool. Well, we love you guys a lot. We will have more question episodes coming up very soon. Send us your questions, com. Talmud Hotline in the description. You know the drill, people. Some of you have even been like messaging me on Twitter and Instagram. That also works. And we will... Talk to you soon. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. <laughs>